What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, on a scale of 1 to 10, how mad are you at Lil Nas X? I was hoping you would bring that up. <laughs> Not mad at all. Hashtag Satan Shoes, baby. Got that pre-order <laughs> down, down and ready, locked in. I saw Nike was uh, suing the company. Um, who made them because they're not actually Nike brand. They just like, oh, okay. copied their Well, that makes them. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it, apparently, they have real human blood, one drop in, in there. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, uh, uh, a safety Nike. issue, but yeah. <laughs> you know. um, yeah, the, the, the outrage is just so ridiculous. I'm really enjoying the little Nas X uh, clapbacks on Twitter. That's the thing. He's quite consistent, too. It's just the people that, like, stopped checking in on Lil Nas X and are now back up to speed are the ones that are surprised. It's like, no, this is little always who he's been. He's a funny guy on Twitter. This is what he does. And again, he raps about lean on Old Town Road. So subject matter is the same. Yeah, he's fine. And and, and and adultery. It's just like, you know, this is who he is. Um I mean, I, I think there is something to the idea like the like the holiday video is very much like him dressed up as like action figures and like basically in like a video game. So I can kind of understand why parents might think he's like this, I don't know, like kid friendly rapper. But it's all this. It's just that Old Town Road became such a phenomena that yeah. like literally everyone knew it, including kids and parents just didn't take the time to, I guess, censor that or address it. I don't know. I mean. This has happened with tons of other songs and artists. You know, people are just mad. Why? Because he's gay? Because he's black? I don't know. It's happened to people, all these kind of people before. It's going to happen again. I don't know. Yeah. I just really appreciate like, him uh, frying yeah, Caitlin. He's Beck. great. That was the best. So uh, shout out Lil Nas X. Keep making them hits. Also, album this summer is what he said. Yeah, these songs are, are pretty good, pretty catchy. Looking forward to that album. Uh, but Dave. If people are listening and they want to hear more little Nas X takes in the future, hit that subscribe on YouTube, especially because they're going to want to hear us talk about Black Widow when it comes mm. out in July on streaming Disney Plus Premier Access. It will now be dropping on July 9th. This is the what fourth pushback from May 2020, then to mm. November, November 2020 to this May 2021, and finally. Hopefully, finally, mm-hmm. July 9th, 2021. How are you feeling about Black Widow simultaneously being released on streaming? Yeah, so yeah, it'll be in theaters as well, but with that premiere access. And I mean, I'm disappointed about it for like the industry angle of it all because, and you, you've seen some commentary, a lot of independent theaters in particular are quite frustrated with this decision that kind of chops their legs off when they're pinning a lot of their economic livelihood to a big blockbuster like this kind of bringing everything back and stabilizing stuff. And we've seen the box office slowly creep forward as Disney or as LA and New York have opened in limited capacity, which are the two biggest movie theater uh, going markets, but it's still nowhere close to where it's been. Right. So it's like, it's going to be a while. So that explains they still delayed it two months versus putting it on streaming in May. Right buy more time there but i feel like it's just a, a a result of marvel studios can't afford to keep delaying their marvel properties whereas someone like 
uh, Universal with Fast Nine and uh, was it uh, MGM with James Bond, No Time to Die. They they can keep pushing back and waiting for the most money possible at the box office. They're not right. like beholden to all this other franchise level planning the way Marvel is. And along these lines, you know, Shang Chi pushed back to September. Um, then you got Eternals and Spider Man wrapping out the year. So you got four Marvel movies from July to December, plus the last of the shows for the year. It's a lot of Marvel stuff. And I think they just, they had to shit or, shit or get off the pot at this point. And it's unfortunate it's going to come at the sake of uh, the movie theaters. But then again, we are seeing people go to the theaters and maybe in a few more months, vaccine rollout is hopefully in a really good spot at that point, at least domestically. I wouldn't be surprised to see a pretty robust box office response. Um, how that goes overseas though remains to be seen because while China's doing great and Godzilla's crushing it over there, um, Europe is not doing well and has a lot of lockdowns again and their vaccine rollouts not as far along as other places. So, you know, there probably will never be a perfect time to restart stuff, but you definitely understand the Marvel decision-making. Like they just had to, had to go for it at this point. Yeah. Since so much, so much of Marvel, like you pointed out is, um, based on what comes before it, what comes after it, and the timeline of things. Uh, I I think it makes sense that this is happening. It definitely is disappointing. Um, you know, I, I think people like you and I will probably go to the theater as long as we feel safe and comfortable to do so. And by that point, I assume we will. Um, but I, a lot of people are just going to buy it at home. And it's definitely going to hurt it a little bit, I think. Um, you know... We've been talking about this. I want to check check your temperature, right? Because I know you're talking about there's no perfect time to do this. But July, maybe like a theater release could be pretty successful. Another major music festival today announced uh, September dates for their festival, Firefly. Do you uh, where? How are you feeling about these festivals in the fall and just like things being open again? Yeah. Kind of nuts, right? It's like feels crazy. Six months. Can't imagine they'd require a vaccine. Like, how could they possibly pull that off anyway? Like enforcing that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I have to have an app, I guess. And you you can't socially distance at one of those places. Yeah, I don't obviously, think I... You, you, there's not enough land to socially distance a festival when you also sell enough tickets to make your money back. Like, it's right. just not possible. Mm-hmm. and also why would you want to go to a festival and be socially distanced i want to be in the fucking <laughs> crowd that's the point exactly um yeah yeah i mean crazy. for me that would really depend on how these variants go right because <laughs> i'm hoping right. i have the vaccine by then but if the variant strains are not as big a deal and asymptomatic spread and spread when the vaccine we find out a lot more scientific stuff around that maybe we could finally get to that kind of stuff i don't know but I have a feeling festivals is 2022 still. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm just hopeful for the timeline of things to be safe by the fall, because I think that also, you know, in terms of like industry stuff, uh, there's going to be movies that will be released simultaneously. But I think the more we see movies like this be released simultaneously, the more that's going to become the norm. And I don't really want that to be the norm. Yeah, it's, no, 
Yeah, and then there's actually been some positive signs along that front with uh, Regal Cinemas is opening back up. They just straight up shut down the past few months. They're opening back up and they had a new agreement with, uh, was it, uh, it was Universal, who they had a big sticking point. Remember, Universal kind of just destroyed windowing last year with Trolls World Tour. And uh, for 2021, they've been releasing movies after 17 days in the theater, which is obviously a lot less than the traditional 90 days. And I think they agreed to... Uh, 40 days, 30 days, something like that. So it's more than what it was. And honestly, I think it's, it's, it's pretty reasonable. Like 90 days is kind of antiquated, I think. Like in most of the box office is made in the very beginning anyway. So that seems good. But we're seeing some rollback, right? And Warner Brothers is definitely like stuck to the point that they're not going to do the simultaneous drop on HBO Max thing after this year. So we're seeing some positive signs that the studios definitely still want movie theaters because they know that's where all the money actually is so hopeful in that regard but yeah i mean this year you just hope the things that are struggling can survive in the in the meantime and audience behavior doesn't change too much right that's what we've really been worried about with all this you know day and date streaming stuff uh man i really hope so um yeah i'm tired of being in my apartment put it that way so uh why don't we move forward though you know dave the end of today's show we're going to be talking about the 2021 xxl freshman double xl um freshman list but we are talking about an album from a 2020 uh double xl freshman 24k golden yes sir dorado and uh you know it's it's interesting i i think going into this album for me um not knowing a lot about hmm. 24k golden i was in the mood is what you're saying <laughs> i i was i was like not really sure 100 percent what to expect and the first track i was like oh this guy pretty good rapper and then it turned into a lot more singing than i expected and it's funny because i actually think i like him a lot more when he raps than when he sings and that that was just kind of my my feel throughout i I thought overall the album was pretty solid and there's some decent moments and features but yeah i think just a little too much singing for my liking especially (laughs) because i don't know if he's super interesting when he does that how did you feel about uh dorado though yeah el dorado the debut album from 24k golden first project since of course mood absolutely exploded last year song with ian dior went number one approaching a billion streams on spotify uh one of the biggest songs of 2020 and it was a big tiktok song but just a big straight up radio song in its own regard huge pop song and it's funny because we if you if you remember the xxl video we did last year at youtube.com says nostalgia pod you may recall that i said 24k golden wasn't ready yet and they should wait a year before picking him uh at that point he had only released his one mixtape uh, which featured uh, Valentino, his first hit song, and then City of Angels, which is a, another hit that I like quite a bit. And we had that one project out. I didn't have a whole lot of songs. Mood had not coming out at that point. And I was like, oh, 24 years old and on the radar. Let's watch this guy, you know, pop rap got out of the bay. Let's see what happens. They pick him anyway. And then Mood happens. And I'm like, ah, yes. You know, sometimes they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And now he's... <laughs> averaging 40 million monthly Spotify listeners through the rest of the 2020. It's like, yeah, that's what you call getting in at just the right time. Yep. So great job by XXL. They bought that, that stock at 13 and shot up to yes. 300. This was a GameStop a few months ago <laughs> for them. 
And, you know, and, and it's, it's funny, again, because before the pandemic, the last concert I went to was YBN Corday back when he still went by YBN Corday. And the opening act was 24K Golden, again, before Mood had come out. And he was actually a lot of fun. He was really lively. And he did a cover of Fetty Wap's Trap Queen, which was hype as fuck and everybody loved. Hmm. And I just thought he was a funny guy. And you know, listen to some of the interviews. He's actually pretty articulate. He's, you know, he's an educated guy. And even comes off as kind of like a goofball, I guess. He seems to be pretty smart and strategic. And you can understand, like, the business strategy of his music career. And if you listen to El Dorado, that definitely shines through. Because this is very much, like, focus group. Let's get more pop rap on the radio. Hmm. Let's try and find another mood. And... I don't know, like City of Angels, I like that. But even his at his most rapping, he's not like the most barsiest guy ever. So I don't really mind. He's a pop rapper. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the singing stuff when he's leaning a little more post Malone, <laughs> uh, not as much for me. But there, there's some shit that hits here. And you can tell because like he's definitely a label priority. He's got a lot of producers helping and a lot of good writers. Like this was a uh, was well done yeah, for what was- they're going for. I was going to say there's uh, <clears throat> there's some moments on here that really stick out, but it's not a lot of times it's not even really him necessarily that I find sticking out just like the production and like there's a uh, guitar lick on uh, like Breath Away that is just so catchy the way it just keeps going over and over. I was like, damn, this is some high level shit right here. Let's just stop right there. So Breath Away a uh, friend of the show, Mike Lennon, helped me discern some of the source of the melody there. I think that song is probably the highlight of El Dorado. Catchy as fuck, right? And like that that's kind of what his gift is with a song like Moves, even before that City of Angels. Like he has this knack for melody. And on a song like Breath Away, again, you mentioned that guitar, right? Like that that's a really catchy thing. And there's actually another great moment with guitar later on. But on Breath Away, there's a lot of familiar melody and i think around that one minute mark where he says uh was it uh with nothing left to say with nothing left to say it's straight up the melody that dido uses that stan sampled on stan wow uh, take my breath away obviously it's a different vocal pitch but it's the same shit right and there's so many other production choices and songs you can point to that that song is uh similar to like even like like I think, like the rhythm, you can f- hear feel some Avril Lavigne complicated. Hmm. Like th- there's a lot of like interesting DNA to this, and I think New York Times should do Diary of a Song for this song. Uh, that's <laughs> just me. So yeah, that that one that one I think really shine out for me because you have again like high level, really involved production choices, and then 24K Go and doing what he can do do best, which is just kind of flow on that melodic pop rap shit. Yeah, that 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 song is a total earworm. Um, really catchy. I uh, played it back immediately. Um, what other tracks stood out to you, or what other moments really did you like? Yeah, I, re- I like three, two, one as well because yep. of that guitar, both on the pre-chorus where it's kind of strumming, and then on the actual chorus it like goes even harder. And I'm like, you know, I, I appreciate like keeping guitars in like mainstream pop. That, mm-hmm. That's uh, <laughs> not common anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, that one stood out. I actually even wrote like rock. Is like, is this a rock song <laughs> on this album? Kind of stood out. Um, I thought like. Coco was a another song mm-hmm. that was pretty yeah. catchy to me, and I thought the single and, singles. Yeah, I thought him and the baby uh, sounded pretty good on it. Um, you know, there were moments where he sounded a little bit like MGK to me. Um, oh, sure, just like new MGK, his, right? 
yeah it, new mgk with like the pop you yeah. know emo-ish and uh, it's a song like butterflies where he's like really getting at the top end of his range and intentionally i think sounding strained on on some of his singing but <laughs> hearing that just like really brought me to mgk right now um i don't know i i guess uh i thought company with future was also okay um you know i future is future to me but um <laughs> I, I thought his flow on the chorus was really good and i, I think that he can really uh just i i was i guess more impressed with the those moments of rapping than a lot of his singing because i don't know if he's the strongest singer but he yeah. definitely is able to make a catchy song definitely definitely yeah and coco i didn't actually notice this at, for a while but i'd be i really like uh his rapping on that like the verses and the flow actually the way he comes into that first verse is actually carbon copy the flow that little mosey does on blueberry fago so it's funny that you have one tiktok hit directly leading to the next tiktok hit you know <laughs> um and I, I just want to shout out empty with sway lee as well i think that's where you can point to some post malone comps like th- there's some sunflower vibes there with the sway lee sway lee obviously is the through line yeah, just made me think. When are we gonna get another Ray Ray Shremmerd album? Oh my god, please! That'd be sick, man. That'd Speaking be like festivals. A, yeah, that, that that'd be like a nice like beginning of summer uh, treat for us all. Make it you know, they, so they haven't done like their own lead tour in like years and years. Like the last time they toured, they supported Childish Gambino. Oh wow! Man. So that was what three years ago. Ray Shremmerd, man. Yeah, we opened the shit up. <sighs> well. <laughs> That that's it for twenty four K Golden. Check out the uh, our nostalgia best of twenty twenty one playlist. Check the show notes for that. Check out XXL twenty twenty one freshman predictions coming up. We'll be talking about his buddy Ian Dior. Um, but we're gonna move on to Vic Mensa, who, you know, to me, as we're talking about someone like twenty four K Golden, I'm like, ah, you know, that that veteran uh, singer uh, rapper, and I look, <laughs> he's twenty seven. <laughs> like yeah. not even that old but he feels like he's been around forever i mean yeah a lot of output he's got several mixtapes and eps and albums yeah and uh you know i think when we've talked about vic you know i think we usually are like he's really solid he's never i think touched anything that's like super super top tier yeah. but he's lyrically very very solid yeah i would say he's he was he's been up and down more often than not because he's just changed up what he was trying to do so frequently and that was actually what was so great about the v tape last summer was that it felt like vic kind of course correcting and also re-examining his past a little bit think of a song like rebirth or he kind of poignantly talks about some of the public snafus he's uh you know caused on himself right so it felt like vic was in a more interesting direction Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think on iTape, that's continued and even elevated on. But yeah, yeah, you're right. For a while, we've just kind of been like, man, ever since Vic popped off damn near 10 years ago, we were really excited about Vic and I want to be excited again. Did this reignite that excitement for you? I mean, I respect the hell out of this, this iTape because it's probably as most consistent lyrical project uh, without without question and he's tackling important subject matter it doesn't have like my favorite vic songs but that's what's so funny about having your favorite vic songs is they're probably disparate and all over the place on his projects because again he's been so up and down all over the place and what he's been trying to do 
I don't think we have another Say I Didn't on here, which is like perfect Chicago jazz rap. That's probably my favorite Vic song. Like that, that shit goes. But you get kind of close on this. And he, he, he has some shit to say. And I really appreciate that. I think he, he, he's, there's a lot, a lot of keepers on, on the eye tape. It's a short listen, but there's some good shit here. Yeah, I mean, you have, what, seven tracks, eight tracks? Yeah. And I think there's probably half the tracks I think are really, really strong. Um, starting with the second one for me, Victory, oh, was a real go. standout. Just an absolute banger dude like he's he flows and and is just dropping bars throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. the the beat is incredibly hot and just like goes super hard Mm -hmm. Uh, i listened to it while running and i was like oh we're we're, we're gonna do this okay i appreciate (laughs) that um and then later on uh like i I really liked musa i thought that Mm -hmm. one was a standout to me um trying to think freedom also i I really liked a lot um which one stood out to you yeah, so definitely Victory starts it off really hot. And it's like, yeah, man, Vic, he did that 93 punks detour. No, no, no. Vic's back for sure on that rap and shit. Just Blaze. I got some Diplomats Cameron vibes on that one, man. I love that shit. <laughs> uh, he had uh, his favorite, my favorite bars are on on Victory. Uh, they must heard I got my bread up and they know they can't catch up. So now they in a pickle. That's a shy glizzy. Fucking flames let's go um and it just it kind of can it carries on with the other tracks right like i think there's so many good moments because like again lyrically he's talking about lots of important stuff you mentioned musa that's a really uplifting song that's about like an incarcerated friend and then on freedom you know with that zakari hook which i think is quite strong or sky bridge you have more like top level observations and i think that really comes home on shelter of course where he's talking about disproportionate effects of covid on the black community and of course uh you know police brutality in the face of struggles back home and the government's treatment of the black experience and all kinds of stuff i think it's quite specific and pressing and relevant and it's great to hear and also chance sounds as good as he has in quite a while so it's great to hear both of them together on a track also bringing Wyclef in on that hook like that's unexpected and I think that that's a message track that also sounds good because those are good verses yeah no I I agree it was really nice to hear Chance come in and sound uh I think thoughtful again uh and uh, you know he has this ability sometimes to tap in and just totally like capture the moment and I I agree I thought Shelter was a, a strong closer for this yeah, I mean, overall, this feels like, you know, Vic making meaningful, inspired stuff right now, which is good. I, I like this lane for him. I'm imagining we're at least going to get a C-tape in the future, um, <laughs> you know, so it had to at good least point. finish Vic. Um, so there's probably at least one more. Um, I don't know. What, sure. what do you want to see from him moving forward? Just more consistency? Yeah, I think more just more consistency in what he's trying to do. It's funny. Uh, on his social media recently, he's been teasing uh, releasing his unreleased album Traffic as an NFT. Of course, NFTs all the rage in the creative space these days. If you don't know, now you know. And that's just funny to me because that was when Vic was truly at his most, like, couldn't point himself in the right direction so much that he would put out some singles and then just drop the whole idea for the project never comes out. Uh, you Mad, song with Kanye. 
uh, was one of the singles from that album that ever came out. And now it definitely feels like Vic has his head on straight and it's, he knows he like he sees where he wants to go finally. So just keep this going, man. Obviously, I like some more like replayable stuff. Obviously, not every message song is the most fun to listen to back to back, even if it's important to make. So like, obviously, I'm going to always default to stuff like say I didn't. But then again, I think Victory has a lot of replayability because that shit just fucking goes. And he also has some really good quotables on that and has a message too. So if you can if you can find a way to do what we always say is really hard to accomplish is bring lyrics and replayability together, uh, you're doing something right. Absolutely. Re- real quick on the NFT stuff. Uh, SNL this weekend had Jack Harlow on um, and another XXL tie in today. And he uh, appeared in a skit about NFTs where he basically educated through a rap what edu- what nfts were and i actually thought it was really well done so if, if anyone cool. is confused as to what they are snl actually did something pretty informative and creative uh pretty interesting so check that out probably on youtube somewhere um why don't we move forward though to a couple of movies before we uh wrap up with xxl predictions we're gonna be talking about boogie the eddie huang uh film wong i believe wong my apologies um yeah you know so this was a film i think we were probably most interested in for the pop smoke uh you know the acting debut and kind of final role yeah only role um and i didn't really know again what to expect from this film i saw the um the trailer which looked absolutely fire that that was was the entry point right it's like the trailer comes out early 2021 not only do you see that Pop Smoke is a part of the movie, but the trailer is really fucking compelling. Yeah. Great music. And you're like, shit, is this uh, is this another Above the Rim? Right. Again, yeah. Tupac in Above the Rim. Very similar subject matter to it, to be honest. You're like, huh, I'm hyped as fuck for Boogie. This looks mm-hmm. dope. Yeah. And that trailer is still really good. <laughs> and you can't take anything away from the trailer, but unfortunately the movie doesn't quite uh, hit those levels. Yeah, and you know, it, right from the get-go, it's pretty interesting, right? Because um, I think you take a, the basketball movie stereotype, which is usually, you know, a black male um, who's, you know, taken to the sport and it's like his escape from things going on at home and you kind of flip that on its head by making the lead character uh, of Asian uh, descent. Yeah. Um, East Asian, uh, traditional family. And um I, I think that is actually probably where I felt like most of the problems with the movie were is that I, I feel like they kind of knew what they were trying to say, but w- didn't always effectively portray it or demonstrate it in the movie. And then sometimes it felt a little bit like too much or just almost like they, the portrayals of some of the things I maybe question how, true to life some of these things actually are and i kind of just felt like eh, i don't i don't know how how real this feels i I think some of it definitely is like cultural uh aspects you know play a major factor in the lives of Mm -hmm. um people from asian cultures but i think just some of the ways that they characterized it felt a little cartoonish at points How, how did you feel about that aspect of the film yeah and i think that's what's disappointing about it is that you see the bones of what boogie could have been and you see what was attempting to be accomplished 
And then when you watch the film and you see a lot of the vagueness and kind of unfortunate consequences that still kind of lead to like otherizing Asians in the space. And it's like, clearly that was not the goal, but that's kind of what you got. And it makes it even more disappointing because, you know, Eddie Kwan, I don't know if you're how familiar you are with him, but he is definitely an interesting guy because he's like one of those like multi-hyphenates, right? Very famous in the food scene. Of course, his memoir, Fresh Off the Boat, was adapted into the successful ABC sitcom of Randall Park and Constance Wu, which ran for, I think, like six seasons. It was a very, very successful show and well-liked show. And Eddie actually has a had an interesting relationship to the show because he thought they almost sanitized his what he was really going for at times. And I think he's come around a little bit more, but still you could feel like he, okay, now, now this is a directorial debut. He, he's ready to actually say and tell the story he wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going into this movie, it seems like he was definitely, you know, in that control. His lead character, Boogie, was not originally played by Toe Takahashi. It was played by somebody else. Toe Takahashi was a guy he met playing ball out in California and hired to be his PA after they connected over some time. And next thing you know, he actually cast him instead as Boogie. This is his film uh, debut. And you understand why Totakashi was cast, because he can ball. And I think that's probably one of the best aspects of Boogie is they didn't do the opposite thing where they cast real actors and then just fudge the basketball scenes by like quick cutting and like faking the shots and stuff. For the most part, the action of the basketball is pretty... It's all right. I think the I think the half court scenes, yeah. A lot of times those are those are one shot, and yeah, it's a lot of dribble handoffs. Like it's a lot of like give and goes and stuff. It's not the most intricate ball, but I still feel like it was kind of modern ball. Yeah. And I, I just appreciate like the attempt to actually like do it do it the real way. Pop Smoke, another guy who could bring it and actually play a little bit, yeah. you know. Um. And I think I, how'd you feel about Takahashi's lead? He's um. I think right off the bat, both him and Taylor Page's girlfriend character, they're both, I think, Taylor's 28 and uh, or Taylor's 30 and, and uh, uh, Takahashi's 28. So, like, they definitely don't feel like high school age no. people <laughs> right off the jump. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I thought Takahashi was, was all right for his first role. But you can tell he's not a trained actor. Yeah, I think that's the thing is the physicality definitely shines through. I mean, he's very handsome dude. Um, he carries himself in this movie, I think, like, uh, you know, high school hotshot might. Um, but then I think some of the scenes where he needs to be a little bit more vulnerable or he's really going through it, like the scene between him and Taylor Page when they're about to have sex for the first time and he's yeah. feeling really self-conscious, that scene felt very uh, like not not his best work or but i think part of it too is sometimes the writing doesn't do him a lot of favors like i was <laughs> surprised at how weird some of the scenes he was given were mm-hmm. like like yeah. that sex scene where yeah. they're actually just straight up talking about like stereotypes about asian genitalia like right mm-hmm. in the open but having him the character express it i almost felt was diminishing like the goal of like, yes, she's she doesn't not a big deal. doesn't care. And, oh, by the way, he measured a stick. It's normal size. So fuck you. But it's like, I, I feel like the way they handled it was almost like a little like juvenile still. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, especially like 
just the way he comes out and says it right there, there definitely could have been some more subtlety. So I, I agree. The script could have helped him out a little bit more. Or even the scene where he decides to sign the deal to get his father out of jail, but then he finds out he got into St. John's on a full scholarship, which, I, first of all, the timing is just like... It's, it's stuff there. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a movie, like, trope. But then, like, the way he gets, like, upset, I just was like, I don't know. This just feels like it could have used a more seasoned actor in that moment but i agree i think like the he looks like a real ball player for sure when he's out there i do going back to your point about the the basketball stuff i mean the the defense that they do one pick and roll and there's like just no one underneath the rim somehow i don't know how this happens it's five out man it's hard to defend (laughs) um but i i think overall he was okay um yeah, he's good enough. Like he's not the yeah. reason the movie has issues. No, not I agree. Did you like Pop Smoke? I wanted more Pop Smoke. Yeah, definitely. I thought he was in the movie way more. Um, I know, but I I thought he was good as kind of like the villain because he's not like it's not like he's a killer. He's not like he's like some like you know guy in the streets. He's not he's not Tupac and above the rim. It's a little different. He's just like the rival basketball player character, right. and he's this big boogeyman to boogie, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think I thought he was pretty effective is it, at, at it because he's a charismatic he was a charismatic guy. Again, the fifty cent comparisons really rain through. It's like, man, yeah. just watching Pop Smoke like smile as he like pushes some dude and intimidates them on the court. It's like, yeah, it's so believable, right? Yeah. And also I think his character at the end when he calls Boogie a egg roll was a also an effective way to like, yeah, like there is some subtle racism on the basketball mm-hmm. court, especially when you're the one Asian guy, which again calls back to how they handled Jeremy Lin right off the bat, right? Basketball movie, Asian basketball player. Oh, Jeremy Lin's going to come up, right? Right in like the first 10 minutes, they're like, fuck Jeremy Lin. He doesn't speak for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I really respected. But for Pop Smoke, uh, I think he's an effective villain, but man, I wanted more. Like I, I thought there's a lot of melodrama and family stuff in the film Boogie. And has its issues, which we can still keep going into. And the process, you almost feel like that antagonist that is, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, okay. uh, Melvin? And, yeah, it, whatever. His, his, the antagonist that Pop Smoke plays. Um, oh, oh, that Pop Smoke plays. Sorry. Mop? Yeah. Was it Mob? Uh, it's Monk. 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 Yes. Like Monk, Monk's like, like aura and presence is almost more affected on boogie the character because of everyone else like talking up like his dad and stuff right and like i wish there were some more scenes like them like running into each other like on the street and stuff i don't know like like don't don't you feel like we could have used a scene like in goodwill hunting where they just get in a fight or something yeah you know i thought there was gonna be something like that um he what he was basically that boogeyman character and like you said they kind of just made more of the conflict the family melodrama stuff between you know uh, mr chin miss chin and then melvin who mm. uh i mean was there an affair going on there <laughs> hey, they hint at it right early on yeah. right it's like he's holding <laughs> looks at the wedding ring she looks down and i was like oh wow she's definitely gonna fuck this dude yeah right and then I don't hey, maybe know. she did i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know how, how did you feel about them kind of harkening back to like the mr mrs chin going to the i don't even know what that yeah role was. well i mean that that was kind of a problem I had with the movie is because right off the bat, and then the you end the movie with the two, and you have some interstitials. We're flashing back to like what some fortune teller, some like mystic character, yeah. 
meanwhile, later on, there's this whole scene where Boogie apologizes to the coach and I guess a principal or something. And he, you know, he's on his knees praying or, or apologizing. But either way, his dad's like talking about respect and honor and family. And it's like, ah, oh, man, there's there's just some annoying Asian culture cliches in this movie, which again really surprised me because you can tell Eddie Huang actually thinks thoughtfully about this stuff and is not just a surface level guy. Like even in the movie, they talk about like the difference between being an Asian American, ABC, Asian born Chinese, and then being someone f- from China and like how they're different. And Eddie Huang's character, Uncle Jackie is like kind of t- expressing these values to Boogie about how the pressure comes from the family because of what they experienced back home and stuff. And it's like, you had all these like more high level thoughts, but at the end of the day, you boiled it down to just some basic ass shit. Mm-hmm. And those cliches are, are, I find really unfortunate. Yeah, you know, especially because I feel like I feel like some of the the tension with the family and the different like uh, the different cultural aspects at play, you know, the father being so focused on like um, him being successful in this certain yeah. way of like beating Monk and if yeah. you beat Monk, everything else will follow and the mom being more realistic, like you know, we have bills to pay, like we need to be successful financially, no matter what, how we get there. And like, I thought that was actually like an interesting conflict to explore and put him in. And then to kind of hearken it back to, like you said, like the fortune teller just felt kind of like off-putting in a sense. I just kind of didn't feel like it really added much to the movie. Um, Yeah. And especially because he goes to the same one and that his parents went to like 40 years earlier and yeah it's like uh, around the corner <laughs> yeah i don't know it's like kind of kind of strange movie set like, flushing well and, and couldn't it have just been like a like a spiritual advisor you know in a sense instead of being like a like if, if they had brought some sort of like spirituality aspect in maybe that would have been an interesting thing but to have it be like a fortune teller literally how the how the person's listed just felt kind of weird yeah i mean just like the it just felt like it boiled down to like that asian mysticism stereotyping um but also, like, was it necessary to the story? I don't think it was. Like, did like did we need that, like, weird backstory about his parents? Because it doesn't really convey that much anyway. Like, yeah. I, I felt like his dad was really, like, a stock character at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I'm just, sorry, I'm just looking down the, the character list here. The uh, the assistant coach. So the, the coach Hawkins is Dominic Lob- Lomb- Lombardozzi, who's yeah. from a bunch of things. But Despot, do you remember the rapper Despot? No, no, he, I didn't recognize him. He he did some stuff with Ratatat, which I think is why I'm like recognizing the name. But he plays the assistant coach, and he's from Flushing, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. He had some funny lines where he's like explaining to the coach what Zaddy means and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And I, I think that there's some funny moments with the script, like uh, when Charlemagne the God comes in playing the Georgetown coach randomly, which is a little a little distracting to me. Yeah. Uh, He's like, it says Thai, t- Taiwanese beer. And then the mom's like, oh, it's complicated. And I was like, that was great. Yeah, well, that was pretty good. Then on the other hand, though, like, what would you feel about, how'd you feel about Boogie's uh, pickup line? Where he's like, you have a pretty vagina. It's like, what <laughs> the fuck? How the fuck would that ever work? Uh, dude, he, he, literally my, my jaw dropped. And I was like, are they just, like, I didn't really understand what the point is. They're just trying to say he's brash. He, ha- he doesn't really have game. I had no idea what they were right. going for there. But yeah, that was terrible. Um, and and Shout like, out. 
go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just gonna say, like, how does this friend not be like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, like, like dude, what's wrong with you? Oh man. Uh, shout out Taylor Page though. She plays yeah. like the girlfriend character. I like her. She, we saw her a little bit in Ma Rainey as a uh, Chadwick's girlfriend, but mm-hmm. apparently she's really good in the upcoming A24 movie Zola, which was a big mm-hmm. Sundance hit uh, in 2020. So we'll be talking about Taylor Page uh, pretty soon, I have to imagine. But yeah, it's just funny that the two Taylors—they're both pushing 30. It's like some amazing Spider-Man shit where Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield are totally not high school age. Well, funny that you mentioned Spider-Man, too, because Jorge Lindenborg Jr., who plays his friend, is in both the Homecoming yeah, ones. And right. I actually thought he got a nice moment. You know, he gets like that nice monologue, like, everybody here wants to be you, but we mm-hmm. do your dirty work yeah. so you can be you. And I was like, OK, well, this is not the most well-written, but, you know, I'm glad he got a little like monologue to work. Yeah. I, I like his moment to the coach in the locker room. He's like, I don't know, coach, but I'm here, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. Uh, did you recognize Mike Moe? He plays Melvin. That's the guy who played Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, shit. Did, I didn't recognize him at all. I obviously didn't like the different haircut. I mean, I was like, this guy's super handsome. He's probably been in some things I've seen, but I didn't right, even yeah. put that together. That's that's cool. Um, I actually thought the mom was from uh, something, but I couldn't place her in. It doesn't seem like there's anything I've seen her in. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, any last thoughts on this? I mean, Boogie, I think disappointing, but still kind of fun. Yeah, so kind of fun for sure. You don't get a lot of basketball movies anyway, so yeah, I like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what's so annoying about it is that you saw that this could have been way better, and a lot of those flaws are just really glaring. Um, shout out the music. Obviously, yeah, got a lot of, I mean, lot of New York great. here. Starts off right off the bat with like the credits screens popping up with uh, Jay Electronica's Exhibit C. Mm-hmm. So Boogie's walking down the street. That shit went hard. Uh, get Chef G at the end. You get 504 in. You get Pop Smoke a few times. Um, I laugh when the uh, MC at the uh, at the court, you know, at the stand-in for the Rucker, he, uh, Monk like makes a dunk or something, and the MC is like, "Welcome to the party." <laughs> and then later they play Pop Smoke's "Welcome to the Party." And I was like, "Oh man, that's just yeah. like there for the Pop Smoke fans, I guess." <laughs> the only the only music choice I didn't like was again that sexy. Or, you know they have that weird song going on he kind of keeps going back to it and then they stick with it after and i was just yeah. like yeah, it's not working for me but <laughs> all right well why don't we switch gears to uh, a very different movie uh the father finally we got the father dave this is the last big academy award movie we have to uh have, we, we get to talk about i shouldn't say have to talk about because I, I thought this movie is actually quite a pleasure um directed by florian zeller uh, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, um, a couple other people that you might recognize, but Rufus Sewell. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 they're really the movie, these two. And it basically tells a story about um, a father, played by Anthony Hopkins, who is dealing with uh, dementia and, um, or Alzheimer's, one of the two, has never, I guess, explicitly said, I guess. It, here in yeah. the description it says dementia so i guess maybe they they did say it and i dismissed it but and uh, it really explores their relationship and um i think what what makes this movie stand out is how it mimics or is, or tries to mimic the effects that dementia have on the people who are dealing with it uh, you know the movie is very confusing at points and uh, kind of leaves you feeling off balance and not really sure what's real and what's not. And I, I think, 
I think it's really effective in that sense. And it's really just anchored by the performances of these two, um, Coleman and right. Hopkins. Uh, I really liked it. How did you feel about the movie? Yeah, I also liked it quite a bit. Um, this is a movie that had been talked about for a while. It's Sundance 2020, finally out to the public over a year later. Yeah. Um, after it's gotten six Oscar nominations, like you, you really had no chance to see this until right around when the Oscar nominations came out. Like it was playing limited release, but kind of kind of noteworthy to me because this is Florian Zeller's first movie. Because Florian Zeller is really a a playwright mm-hmm. and the, theater figure. He of course wrote the play, made the play. This was based on uh, almost ten years ago. At this point, it had already been adapted into a French movie before. And now he gets to adapt his own play. And not only that, but he gets Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. It's like, good job, dude. Like, <laughs> for real. <laughs> w- way to rise up. And I was really, because like going in, you know, it's like Anthony Hopkins supposed to be really good. He's about dementia. Like, that's really all I knew. I did not know that like the nonlinear narrative and unreliable narrator stuff was going to come up. And the movie's actually really great in how it, uh, takes any kind of like semblance of uh, of uh like sh- uh, certainty from the the viewer like it just takes all that away and you really don't know what's real and what's not and i think it's a it's a marvelous way to try and display something like dementia and again it, it theatrical adaptation we don't really leave these two flat scenes all that much at all Yet it still felt quite cinematic to me because again, like the way like your perspective keeps being changed and altered and what you think you know, what you think is happening and what you think has already happened, what you think might happen, like you really just don't have a handle on it. And I think it's told in such a great way. And a big part of that, of course, is Anthony Hopkins is, is tremendous. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is throwing a hundred and you know, they both have been nominated for their performances. Hopkins yeah. for Best Actor, Coleman for Best Supporting Actress, and uh, completely worthy. I mean, Hopkins throughout this, the range of emotions he goes through, the way he kind of flips from being this charming and witty and funny guy to being just so cutting and angry and closed off is just really really impressive and ending in i think one of the most like devastating final scenes i can remember in a movie from this past year um where he breaks down and just is calling for his mother uh it's yeah completely uh heartbreaking throughout yeah i thought the end was completely devastating no question um but again the setup is so good like i think early on when he still is still quick like you can you guys he said i'm an intelligent man i'm actually quite intelligent mm-hmm. like early on we start you know you start learning about how he like forgets that where he puts his watch and stuff and he's like oh you know you can tell the time uh, it's five o'clock if you're interested i happen to be interested and i was like oh my god this is hilarious because i think hopkins i think he's just such a thespian you can just sell all this stuff with like little ticks you know and yeah uh i think the, the, one of the best scenes is when uh uh, Imogene Poots character comes in as one of the caregivers uh, who's just like a, she's an indie staple at this point and she uh, she's really good the kind of like an understated performance handling a lot of different emotions as she's kind of going through the the ringer and running the gamut with Anthony Hopkins uh, character Anthony as he's kind of putting on the charms and also being like stealthy like really nasty and mm-hmm. which is the, again another side of dementia right and uh, 
there's just a lot of standout moments. I was, I was, I was quite impressed because again, going in knowing it was a stage adaptation about dementia, I didn't think there was a whole lot to really show. Besides, you know, I assumed there would be a good script and good acting, but like the way it handles, I think the linearity and and stuff really stands out to me. Yeah, you know, using uh, Olivia Coleman's character's um, decision to move away for herself as like a, a real detail of confusion throughout, I think is really interesting. You know, from one moment, she's telling him that, oh, you know, I'm moving. And if you don't find a caretaker, we're going to have to, you know, possibly put you into a nursing home, which he, he gets put in like one of the nicest nursing homes that there ever was, you know, oh, for yeah. a nurse to just like sit with someone like that for so long and be that patient and is incredible. But, um, and then later on to have her be like, oh no, that's not something I ever mentioned. And, you know, just having that detail flip back and forth so often really just keeps you off balance and leaves you feeling like frustrated and confused and really mimicking, I think, the experience of someone, you know, dealing with this illness. Um, and, and I think Coleman also, you know, I, I remember her a lot of the time for her roles in like Fleabag um, and favorite. like her, yeah, the favorite, where she just gets to be like so outwardly bombastic and yeah. she's a um, ham right exactly and and that that's also kind of how she portrays herself in the at, at award shows when she when she wins she's very much just like this bubbly uh person who has a huge personality she's much more reserved in this but i think like the the scenes that she's like dealing with her embarrassment and confusion and worry and concern and, and pain is really uh done so tactfully throughout and you know i don't she doesn't really get a big scene i wouldn't yeah say. i thought she'd be in the movie more to be honest but I, I still think she's really effective how did you feel about her performance yeah no she's really good i mean there's because a, a lot of self stuff right where it's like she's playing off anthony hopkins and you can see her like welling up and becoming upset and yeah it's again like there's a lot of devastating scenes in this movie yeah and you know i think to add to the confusion getting the you know, Catherine Ann character, Olivia Williams, who I, I I thought they really just like de-aged Olivia Coleman at first. Yeah, me I too. Was like, I was like, huh. They look so similar. It was insane. Um, I thought that was really like interesting and, and well done touch to it all too. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't know if there's a lot more to say. It's just no. really well done, but super affecting. Yeah. I think the other scene I really liked was that, uh, and you don't you don't know it's coming until it's basically already happened. Where it's like it's a Anthony goes through a whole loop where he watches Rufus Sewell and Olivia Coleman talk about how he's he's ill and you have to put him in a home and like you mm-hmm. see you, you see him go through this whole thing at the dinner table and then you, you go back to that same conversation you hear from a different perspective and it's yeah. like it's like oh, again another really smart touch. Yeah, no, for sure. Um movie's really well done go check it out if you can uh, especially because the oscars are next month what like a month away pretty much um dave it's time for you to unveil your double xl freshman 2021 picks um you know these people and i know some of them so (laughs) i'm gonna refer to you for most of this i guess i wanted to start off because there's what like 40 people uh who you could choose from or, or vote for the 10th 10th spot right now online right. why don't we start with the people who are locks who are who are right. definitely making the list yeah so this is one of the years i'm 
less confident than others. Like there, there's been times where we've nailed like 80% of the list last year. I think we only got six, right. Um, and you know, sometimes again, an artist is a worthy choice and doesn't, uh, choose to participate and is left off such as a little tech last year. Right. So like that happens, but generally you feel like there's some easy to pin down, like they're going to be there unless they say no last year, that was Polo G and Jack Harlow mm-hmm. and, uh, little tj you know there was a lot of them last year and this year i i don't think there's as many like there's not a lot of locks there's a lot of people that are worthy that's just the way hip-hop is these days that you could make a list of 30 people every year honestly but uh there's a lot of good picks but there's only a handful of true locks i think this year which is a certain change from the past handful of years mm-hmm. so what do you make of that why do you feel like there's so few real locks this year compared to other to, years to be honest i think it's covid because the cover last year came out late it came out what was it august 2021 yep. or 2020 usually it's like a may to june thing you can tell this year they have the 10 spot voting up end of march they're back on the normal calendar so there's just kind of been less time i guess and hip-hop still moves quick um this is the only genre that could really sustain something like this but yeah, I think there's just kind of been less time for people to stand out and shine because you think of the people like last year, like Jack Harlow, his music's still popping, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and and everyone else is still going strong from last year. So, uh, and obviously the way COVID works with everything, it's like it's hard to delineate when like the 2021 music year began, you know. So right, right. That's all it is, I think. Well, so look, why don't we start with the people who are definitely locked? So who do you got? Who's definitely yeah. making the list? I think definite, definite. This was this. This is one of the ones that was pretty evident last year. That'd be Forty Two Doug, of course, who bust out last year with "We Paid," his song with "Little Baby." That was a big hit off the "Little Baby" uh, deluxe album. One of the true uh, deluxe album highlights. They usually, don't get a lot of those. Usually, all deluxe album songs suck these days. But no, not this one. And uh, like, if you looked at like best rap songs of the year list, "We Paid" was pretty universally like top five. Um, and Doug, in his own regard, also had his two turn two mixtape come out, which had a lot of cuts I liked, a lot of like album cuts. So he, and you can tell he's got a lot of features these days. 42 Doug, who signed the little baby, he's not going away by any stretch, and he's from Detroit. So he's an, e- an easy choice, I would say. And also a good one. I think he, he's a good rapper. The 42 Doug we, uh, we have. So who else is definitely a lock? I, one, one name jumps out at me. And uh, I want to talk about it real quick. Oh, well, I guess maybe there's two. And not for me, for them, for them to jump out means that they must be locks. Flo Millie yeah. is one for sure. And the other one is Slow Thigh. Why don't we start with Flo Millie, though? Yeah, so Flo, Flo Millie, I actually talked about last year because like the Flo Millie wave had really begun. But probably when they were making decisions last year, they'd already made the list. And Flo Millie was just kind of popping. So mm-hmm. wait a year. But she's on the website this year, so you have to figure she's going to get picked unless she says no. And obviously we, we talked about her debut mixtape. Oh, why is you here last summer? Yep. Flo Millie, another female MC that, you know, kind of more in that Rico nasty, just having fun. I don't give a fuck lane, but also kind of has some of those more Megan wrap your ass off qualities, but also funny. I think like Rico and I mean, the hits speak for themselves, right? Be flow mix was the start. And in the party, kept it going. But then after that mixtape came out, there was a lot of songs that stuck around, like like that bitch and Week yep. and Roaring Twenties. So 
And again, the features have continued. Flow Millie is really just getting started. So she's a great choice. Yeah, I think we actually might put two of her songs onto our Nostalgia Best of 2020 playlist. So for that to happen means that that album was definitely a strong one. And then how how the hell is Slow, Slow Tie even on this? Like I, I saw the name and I thought it was a mistake at first. Same for me. Like I, I kind of keep keep little notes of uh, XXL thoughts throughout the year just so I don't forget anyone. And Slow Tie had not crossed my mind at all until I saw it on the website. And I was like, why are we considering Slow Tie a freshman? He has two legit major albums mm-hmm. uh, that were critically well-received and very yeah. mainstream. And he's won awards and stuff. And like uh, nothing great about Britain. That was 2019. And then mm-hmm. obviously Tyron was early 2021. Like, and he's been in the news a lot. Like I... It's not that he's he's a veteran, but he's I wouldn't call him a freshman anymore. He's pretty established, and I guess that you, if you want to represent the UK scene in some hand, like I was trying to look at what other choices there would be out of UK, and if you look on that list, you'd see uh, uh, H is on there, who's been on a lot of projects we've talked about recently, and other than that, I guess like SL is a choice, but there's, there wasn't a lot of like UK drillers or grime stars that I think were really jumping out to me. But still, Slow Tide doesn't feel like a freshman. I feel like there was just no one to pick this year out of the UK. Yeah, well, uh, definitely uh, he would be on my list. But yeah, I mean, again, he, my, he, sh- if he better say no or be on the list. There's no other acceptable outcome. You, you, you said he was eligible, so now you have to pick him. You have to. Um, all right, so we have three no-doubters. Anyone else that's a no-doubter to you? Unfortunately, no. I think that's really it. The, if you look at that website, these are the three. And I think part of this is because of, I think, genre stuff. But these are the three that I think are definite. Um, and there's probably someone who's close. We would just get into that genre. Actually, no, sorry. There's a, there's a fourth. There's a fourth. And that would be Pushaisti. Hmm. Pushaisti signed to Gucci Mane, made some noise last year on the Gucci Mane label project, but then dropped his debut mixtape Shicey season in February of this year. And on that, you had the lead single uh, Back on Blood featuring Lil Dirt, which became a huge, huge hit. Like Pooh Shicey, that song got the number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100. Kind of crazy. And he's huge. Kind of out of nowhere to me. And he's on their on their website, so they're definitely picking him. And of course, only one mixtape out. He's definitely a freshman, so... I think he'd be a, a great choice, even if I don't think he's like the most talented dude. Like he kind of sounds like a Gucci Mane knockoff mixed with some Kodak Black. Like it's it's not like any trap you haven't heard before. But again, Back on Blood's pretty catchy. I give it to him. So yeah, I think Pusheisty is actually our fourth lock, and we'll stop him there. Pusheisty. Anything about the name Pooh? Like what? I don't think so. His his, his ad lib is a purr. Like it's again, it's kind of a knockoff of Gucci and Gucci Mane's purr. <laughs> you know, it's like I, it's I like that. Though. Uh, cool. <laughs> okay, so we have four locks. It well, another name that stood out to me. I want to hear where you're at. CJ, a guy we've talked about a lot recently. Is he making this list? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a lot of there's there's a lot of New York options. Last year, five year foreign made it of all the drill guys, and I he was the one I most expected to make it because he was the most well known. Even if other drillers like Two Two Gs and Chef T were more accomplished and have been around a lot longer, but it felt like five year was the most famous and he got on. Of course, Pop Smoke would have made it last year if he had had a not passed. Mm-hmm. And now you look at the list, and there's a lot of other options. Once again, on that website, 
and CJ is the most famous and well-known of those. Of course, whoop got the yeah. 10. That's the highest charting UK drill song ever. Charted higher than any pop song, so pop was alive. And yet, if you listen to our uh, Loyalty Over Royalty EP review, CJ's DBUP, you can tell we're not exactly fans of CJ because of how blatantly manufactured he comes across. Right. On the other hand, you have to feel like CJ's management is going to get him on this cover, right? Like, how the hell would anybody else beat him to this? Like, yeah. if he wants to be there, he's going to be there, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about how part of his rise to fame is he has connections in the industry. And if those connections have helped him get this far, I don't see why they would stop at this point. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so he's so. my pick for the New Yorkers. I guess, yeah, it's basically a lock. I guess it's like he if he if he says if he wants to do it, he's going to be there. But there are other options, right, from, from New York. Um, Sleepy Hollow, who we reviewed last year, buddies with Chef G. Mm-hmm. Deep End Freestyle is a TikTok hit. I actually think he's really good, so I, I would like to pick him. But there's some other ones that are actually newer, like more exciting guys who are on that list too. Busy Banks um, had one mixtape out last year, like the song Top 5. He's probably the most exciting brand new person in like the Brooklyn drill space. So he, he would be an inspired choice, but again, I can't see them picking Busy Banks over CJ. Also along that, those lines is Dusty Locaine, who I wouldn't pick because he literally only has four songs out. But one of those songs is on Rap Caviar and is a big hmm. hit, Rolling and Control and Freestyle. So it's like, it, it's funny to see how fast some of these people rise. Again, Dusty Locaine's got four songs out and he's already signed and or they're already pushing one of his songs and it's working, you know? Yeah. But again, like it's going to be CJ from New York, you got to figure. Um, so as, as I'm looking through, I'm seeing some very interesting aesthetics here, right? And especially it seems like from Atlanta and Florida, there's this like mm-hmm. almost like emo-ish vibe to to some of these people. You know, like I'm looking here at Note Marcato, who his face is like painted like a skull. Um, sure. uh, Metro Mars from Atlanta is, has like a very like, I don't know, sleek emo <laughs> vibe. And then Mario Judah also has this very like hardcore yeah. look. What What's the deal with them? Any of them making it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You look on that list, you see Mario Judah, you see the kid Leroy, you see Ian Dior. These are all guys. They don't really rap. <laughs> like Ian Dior is kind of close. And Kid Leroy is like a Juice World knockoff. I think it's like almost offensive how much he just bites what Juice World was doing. <laughs> and Mario Judah actually got a lot of accolades and fans because he was doing the Playboy Cardi baby voice shit and kind of delivering. Like he released an EP called Whole Lot of Red last December before Playboy Cardi's Whole Lot of Red actually came out. Mm. That was kind of biting the Cardi stuff. And it's like, there's a place for this. And it's like hip hop adjacent. And they've picked artists like this before, like Trippy Red. He raps, but right. he also does a lot of not rapping, too. But when they picked him, he did a fair amount of rap. 24K Golden. 24K Golden last year, same way. But that's just almost like, that's more like conventional, just kind of like mm-hmm. pop rap stuff. Yeah. These guys, like, I mean, you're really pushing the boundaries of what you call hip hop to me. Mm-hmm. Of those guys, I think Ian Dior is an obvious choice of course mood number one song mm-hmm. huge track in 2020 um and he's also had a lot of other hits and he's put out a lot of music and when i first heard ian dior before mood came out 
the star power was so evident because that guy just has sticky ass melodies and just a real touch for like delivering on stuff and it made sense that mood came so fast right of course his feature is a big part of that song but again like does he belong on a list like this i don't know i mean you think way back they put ty dollar sign on xxl like eight years ago okay and he never was a rapper in the first place uh, but he was still very much rap adjacent as like an r&b singer you know right so yeah. now, i don't know maybe it's just kind of the evolution of like melody and and poppiness is just such a big part of hip-hop these days and is almost becoming more of a center but some of these dudes man i just don't know if they even call themselves rappers you know <laughs> Yeah, Mario Judah, you sent me a couple of, of tracks and I was yeah. like, oh, he sounds like uh, like the hip hop Cody in, Ca- in Cambria, basically. Great sure. vocals. Listen but... to Dive. Yeah, and I actually think it, it's pretty interesting sometimes. Yeah. He's got some bad songs, but he also got some cool songs like Die Very Rough in particular. And li- w- listen to his cover of The Baby's Rockstar. And it's like, oh, that shit fucking goes, you know? Yeah. But he's trying to do the rock star shit. I don't know if he's trying to be a rapper. Right. You know? So are you putting Ian Dior on your list? I'll put Ian Dior on there. Yeah, they put him on their list, so they're counting him. So we should count him too. So yeah, Ian Dior is definitely like a, they'll offer it to him and either he says yes or he doesn't. You know, he he had a lot of songs, but he hasn't put anything really out new since Mood came out. So I guess you could consider this like the entry point to him and like still give him that freshman status. He's still really young. So yeah, I, I pick Ian Dior of these guys for sure. So who else you got? We, I think we yeah. got about five or six at this point. Right. So I think that's, those are like all like the big names. And, and again, that kind of speaks to this year where now we're getting to people that have qualities and credentials, but a lot of times we're picking people that are really established already. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of been an overall thought with how uh, XXO works and functions is should we pick people that are already established and need this kind of marketing and exposure and push, or should you really dig in the crates and find people that are just coming up and you actually put a stamp of quality on? I think XXL has pretty clearly like not gone that route in a long time. So everyone you find here is going to either have a nice body of work or have some like big hit credential or TikTok success or something, right? Like that's right. just the name of the game at this point. So along those lines, there's a lot of people. Um, DDG stands out to me. His song Moonwalk and Calabasas really went and really went again when he got that Blueface feature on the remix. Another really good Blueface remix. Uh, I think of uh, uh, his song Annalie Chapa last year or uh, two years ago, the Shot of Flow one. Um, and this one, like, you know, DDG, he's got three projects out now. He just dropped one two weeks ago. Nothing less has really stuck besides Muwak and Calabasas to this point. So it's kind of one of those picks where it's like, huh, he's got a hit. He's been making some music. Do we pick this dude? And I'd pick him. I like, I like the stuff and I don't think we need to require multiple hits. So I, I like him. He's actually got an, an interesting like come up story. So I think he'd be a pretty solid one. Um, along those lines, another guy who has like one hit, I'd be a little easy on a come up big song. You'll see that on Rap Caviar, put out one EP last year. And in that sense, yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of music out yet, but he's had something stick. Mm-hmm. Let's put him on. I, li- um, I like his hoodie too in that picture. Yeah. So speaking of hoodies, actually, one of my favorite picks, who's not a lock, but I think is a really good choice, would be Snot. 
Snot <laughs> in all his videos always has a hoodie with the drawstrings scrunched up around his face. Gotcha. Pulled down. And he put out two projects in 2020. Both. He got a bunch of Cole Bennett videos out of that. Like me, my favorite song features Ian Dior. I think Snot's cool because he can ride that melody shit and kind of almost sing a little bit like Ian, but he still raps. Okay. And I think he's actually exactly what a lot of people want out of hip hop these days, where it's like a lot of melody, but still rapping. Mm-hmm. And his song Mean with Flo Millie, got a video to that one too. That one's been a hit. You'll see that on Rap Caviar. Um, I, I think Snot's pretty cool. He's from Florida. And he feels like someone who's like just kind of like just scratched the surface of what he can do because he's only just started to get some like mainstream recognition. So okay. I think he'd actually be quite inspired. That'd be great. I mean, uh, you were talking about how they go about making this list. I think definitely trying to get a good mix in of people who are about to pop off. You know, like you mentioned 24K Golden last year and right. people who are established is probably the way to go. Who else you got? Yeah, so those are the people I feel most strongly about. There's, we and that's the thing about this year. Like, I, they're not going to pick everyone I'm going through here, but they're going to pick most of these people, some order. And you, know, you look on that website, you'll see a lot of names. Um, we mentioned all the not really rapper people, right? Ian Dior, Mario Judah, the kid Leroy, other people like that. I think of Young Blue, his song with Drake, Yours Mine Still. He's got a bunch of other songs. He's like, again, like his songs are on World Star Hip Hop YouTube channel, but he's like singing, like in this like really interesting, he's a really interesting voice. And it's not R&B at all. And it's like, it's like hip hop aesthetics while still like doing like singing in his verses. Very interesting. And like, he, again, a guy who's hip hop adjacent. So I don't fucking know if they pick him. Oh, another guy like that. Uh, you love this dude. Stay solid. Rocky party girl. TikTok <laughs> hit. Uh, we weren't a big fan of that EP Fallen last no. year. <laughs> um, and in general, again, just having a TikTok hit is not enough because a lot of these guys have TikTok hits. That's the way it goes. So it's, you need you need more, I think. So I don't think Stace Lot of Rocky's going to get through there. Uh, another guy like that, Pop Hunter. Uh, obviously, everyone knows his song, Corvette, Corvette. Same mm-hmm. thing. Don't think he has enough there, but he did have a few projects last year. Um, I, I was surprised to see this guy on the XXL website. Would that be Rumor? He's the uh, like country like trap guy who has a... Uh, fuck, what are those songs? He has like a lot of those songs. Like he's, He kind of made, made the made the noise post little Nas X is like a guy bringing like the, the rapping and singing and stuff. Well, he was singing, uh, oh, fuck. he has some interesting songs, but yeah. I, I don't know if they're actually going to go all the way for him. Cause again, there's a lot of, a lot of ways to go in terms of not picking non-traditional hip hop here. I, I mean, if they're going to go the country route, I think Mason Ramsey would be an inspired choice, but I don't know <laughs> if he's even eligible at this point. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they've ever picked minor before. So he's got <laughs> time. Um, you know, on that website, you'll see someone like Jack Boy. Not really a big fan of him. He seems like a Kodak clone to me. Um, you'll see PP Cocaine, who's kind of like a meme rapper. She has a lot of like viral s- songs for saying like really weird, like vulgar shit. Kind of like Takashi69, though, in that she's like a hardcore troll. I don't think they're going to reward that. Um, I saw OMB Peasy on the website, who I've liked for quite a bit. I was surprised to still see him there. He's kind of like NBA Youngboy, Southern Drawl from the streets that street pain is, comes out in the lyrics i actually think he's a little better than young boy or more consistent anyway and he'd be a nice choice but i feel like they passed over him a bunch of times already why would they pick him now 
Um, and then I, I've seen other people like who's, who've been making predictions. They mentioned people like Kenny Mason and even Red Veil. I think Red Veil's too young. He's, he's pretty young still. But Kenny Mason, he's the kind of guy who would be a great choice, but he's just not mainstream enough at all. And it's hard to see the path to him getting picked. Oh, and one other name uh, is Coy LeRae. Again, another one I struggle with where it's like she kind of raps and she also sings a lot. And she's got features from rappers like Lil Durk and Pooh Shiesty recently. But a lot of the recent songs, she's rapping less and less. So it's like, is she one? Then again, she's got a lot of projects out. So I think she's trending towards a safe pick. But again, it really depends how many of these singing types they go with because there's a lot to pick from. Well, Dave, you've gone through quite a few. So I want to put you on the spot to give us your your final predictions. All right. Yeah, we got to get to 10. Um, okay, Flo Millie, Pushaisty, Slow Tie, CJ, Snot, Ian Dior, Lil Easy, DG, Coil Ray, and ooh, we need one more, right? I think you um, missed one of the locks. Who was the first guy you talked about today? Oh, and 42 Doug. Thank there you. There you go. Yes. Yeah. And one other name I should shout out was Duke Deuce, who I mentioned last year. Crunk A Den, everyone knows the meme songs a banger you just released another project uh duke nukem great name that memphis trying to bring crunk back he's a little different right like again are they going to pick two memphis rappers because push Shiesty's from memphis even like even though he raps like he's from atlanta um i like dude deuce because he's a little different he's actually kind of exciting in that regard and he'd be a nice choice but i don't know if they're gonna go that way but yeah again still a lot to pick from and this is probably one of the hardest years in a while to kind of get a handle on and when, when should everybody be checking back to see if you got it right yeah so they just put this out they usually give it like two months or so so i, I feel like we're looking at the may or june cover so stay tuned around that probably june hit that subscribe nostalgia on youtube youtube.com slash nostalgia pod dave tell us what the people should be watching listening to for next week yeah, so the big one, of course, on Wednesday, HBO Max it, and Warner Brothers are giving us Godzilla versus Kong, fresh oh, off yeah. making a nice penny and the China box office. So that's exciting. And we also get the comeback album from Demi Lovato. It's been several years since we've heard those pipes. And there's also a Netflix movie I'm kind of interested in. It's called Concrete Cowboy featuring Idris Elba. And a bunch of other dudes. It's a Western. So I hope that's good. All right. Let's 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 hope it's good. We'll be talking about it. So check in next week and uh, take care of yourselves. Peace out. Yeah.